It's time once again for the Built by Bama Online podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you. Something totally different on this Wednesday. We're going to sort of just go around the grid. And you know how we have the roundtable set up there, the premium message board at BamaOnline.com? Well, it's sort of going to be a BOL roundtable here on the podcast today. Joining me is the publisher i don't know if we can use the word owner anymore tim should we refer to you as the governor of yeah. bama online at this at Mayor. this point is that acceptable i don't believe the emperor the owner, emperor the emperor yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, <laughs> probably what charlie potter calls me when at night <laughs> oh Thanks. he doesn't do that tim <laughs> at, at least not on the back channel text thread i'm on it he, he doesn't anyway yeah. um <laughs> anyway you're not on the 25 and under, just him and Hank. Exactly. I, I think we both – I think you and I probably both get it pretty good, Tim, uh, between those two. Yeah, great young guys. Oh, they're outstanding staff members, colleagues of ours there at Bama Online. And we're going the BOL staff emeritus route to fill out today's lineup with Trevor Hewitt, former Bama Online staff member, former recruiting assistant over there in the football offices off Bryant Drive. Uh, Trev, is emeritus okay with you? Although, that doesn't mean you're dead or anything, does it? Emeritus? Uh, I don't believe so. I'll take alumnus, you know, proud alumnus at that. Right. There you go. You know, POL segment of where are they now? (laughs) Proud with everyone over 20 years. Who worked with Travis Ryder and I? We are the last two Mohicans, and finding where everybody's at. Absolutely, <laughs> you know, it kind of it kind of resembles the cast of The Godfather. You know, I mean, we kind of need to go Godfather Association uh, with staff members. Now, I would start with Shannon Terry, right? Shannon, Shannon Terry's obviously veto, right? I mean, there's no question about that, Tim. Got to be veto, yeah. Corleone. Yeah, I think you have to go with Shannon. He's the he's the, he's got that. That smartness in him, along with the street smarts, with the patience, um, I think that's definitely Shannon head to toe. What about uh, what about Tim Watts? Is he more sunny? You would think uh, in your no, approach to things, Tim. I definitely think I'm sunny, but really I like to think swinging over the Godfather three. I'm sunny, son Vincent at this stage of my life. I've learned from the younger Tim, so the younger Sonny. Vincent's bastard son, who was the star of Godfather 3. I like to think of myself a little bit more Vincent, to be honest. You know, I had no idea we were going Godfather 3 today, so I've got nothing for that one. But uh, I do appreciate the homework that Tim Watts has done on the topic. I didn't want to be dead 11 minutes into the movie, i got to be honest. I wanted to ride this out a little longer. Yeah, we got to keep Tim away from those uh, toll booths on the New Jersey Turnpike um, that – didn't work out so well. What about Trev Hewitt? What do we got for Trev Hewitt as a uh, a, a Godfather uh, cast member? Where, where would is is Trev? Is he Clemenza? Um, sort so. of a Cappy at one time in the syndicate. Yeah, I, you know, I think Clemenza is probably probably a pretty fair uh, a fair compare. I, I honorably take that uh, position. Luca Brazzi, maybe. Who's yeah. smart, Luca? And he survived, so that's he's as loyal as Luca for sure, um, but so was Clemenza. Trevor's a little more boisterous than Clemenza, obviously, uh, can sing his butt off. You know, this is a guy, multi- oh, yeah. multi-talented guy, but Clemenza, because he's sort of that lovable guy we all want to hang around with till the end. 
Yeah, I, I fashion myself as sort of Tom Hagen, the family consigliere. You know, I'm not full-blooded Sicilian, so I can't be a, a completely made guy. I guess I'm maybe. Am I am I transitioning over into Goodfellas now? Am I combining a couple of these movies at this point? I'm sort of Tom Hagen, Jimmy Conway, uh, Henry Hill. You know, I, I'm I'm very much a part of the family, but I may not be full-blooded Sicilian. You know, and that that that's uh you that's a situation there. You've definitely over the years been Tom, where you calm me down. He's <laughs> 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 grenade bombing in the you know drive-by. So you definitely you definitely been the guy. Now if we go to war, you know I'm probably gonna have to go solo. But yeah, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a wartime consigliere, Tim. Yeah. Is that what you're telling me? Why do you hurt me like that, Michael? Why do you hurt me? What a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> now, what about the young guys? What do we got for Charlie Potter? What What about Charlie Potter if we were going to cast him? Oh, Charlie Potter and Hank South, so young. Um, man, that's a tough one. You know, I here's what I think for Charlie Potter. I got Charlie as a young Michael when he comes Michael. back from the war. You know, uh, a little little bit tepid, but you can sense the competitive nature in the guy. Absolutely. You know, and he's got a He's got a fire to him that's inside there that you're just waiting to come out, maybe, with Charlie Potter. How about a young Michael? Yeah, very straight-laced. He's very direct, Um, you know, simple. You know exactly where you stand with Potter. But, yes, he defends himself, and he defends his turf. And, um, yeah, I think that's a great one, honestly. Now, Hank South might be more along the lines of poor Carlo. Yeah. Uh, and the Godfather, because uh, I, I suspect he catches a few beatings from Sonny every now and again in his role. You know how this recruit, you know how that recruiting role goes. It's a, it's a little bit <laughs> certain than the team guys. It, it is not for the faint at heart. Those guys, the recruiting guys are always Charles Power, Trevor Hewitt, Hank South, Shane Youngblood, blast from the past. These guys are always friends of mine from day one. Until the last, I'm still friends with them. Charles, you know, you know, took off. Trevor took off, and you know, Shane took off. I still talk with these guys weekly. They're still yeah. some of my friends, but I have no doubt that I tell them. I know what it's like in the heat of the moment in December when you sat down for you know your Christmas dinner with your family, and somebody is on the board saying that a kid is visiting Auburn. Yep. You know, the thing I loved about them is they, you know, they never complained to me. They dropped what they had to do, and we went at it. So Hank, that's a pretty good one for Hank. Although I think his ending. Will be a little bit better. Yeah, hopefully. I, I, I hope so. I hope so for Hank. No doubt about it. Really smart guy. Yeah, both those guys, Charlie and Hank, have been just uh, exceptional uh, in just about in pretty much every way uh, for us there at BamaOnline.com. Uh, guys, we got a lot of things we're actually going to get to today that involve college football. I know we've sort of gotten off to a start that wouldn't point towards that, but uh, we got to start with. It's a big, big day in the South. I'm surprised it's not a holiday in the South, guys. Today is Tim Tebow's 32nd birthday, Tim. Happy birthday. I love I love some Tim Tebow. He's one of the best kids out of all these years I've ever covered. Um, I think what you see on TV is what you get as a real person. I dealt with him a lot one-on-one. Pretty interesting story how I even got to be close to the Tebows. I don't know if y'all remember Neil Cottle, who was at a – Spain Park High School was a signee of Auburn, a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Well, his mom uh, got close to Miss Tebow because when they played Hoover, remember Tim's team came down here to play Hoover High School in the national TV game. And 
the year before, Neil had been injured at, at the Hoover game. So I think Miss Kebo was a little bit worried about what to expect with Tim. And I get a phone call out of the blue, and it's Miss Tebow. And it was it's pretty surreal. She was telling me who she was, and she's a friend with Miss Collins. The Collins were great people, uh, especially the mom. I, I love dealing with her. Neil was a great kid. But the mom, she was like, I'm worried Timmy's going to get hurt. I was like, well, who's going to hurt him? You know, I was like, he's the fastest, the strongest, the thickest, the most solid kid. I think he's going to be fine. So over that time, we sort of developed. That's maybe a sophomore, junior year. Over that time, we developed where, you know, I had a great relationship with the kid. And don't forget the Tebow countdown clock, which was that the hype around Tim Tebow's recruitment was just unbelievable. And BOL, you remember, we put up a countdown clock, like countdown to kick kickoff. So we were counting down to when he would announce. Tebow was such a big deal that the countdown clock had stories about it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm telling you, every time this kid... I talked to him when he was a kid. Now he's a man. Every time I talked to him, it was he was a he was a legitimately you know great dude. So I wish him nothing but the best. Yeah, so from a from a BOL perspective, we've got nothing but great things to say, especially about Tim Tebow, because you talk about growth of not only a, our website but really the network at the time that we were a part of. Tim, um, from the BOL perspective, that. And the the switch from maybe, I guess, Shula to Saban, you talk about growth spurts of BamaOnline.com. Tebow's right there in the top one or two or three, right? I mean, his story was so crazy that the day after Tim Tebow chose Florida, BOL had more subscribers than the Florida site who actually got it. That's how deal changed. And at the time, you got to remember, Alabama's not recruiting like they are now, as you know. They it wasn't, you know, Andre Smith coming on campus was a huge deal. Tim Tebow coming on campus was a huge deal, and they both took official visits. So all that drama that was building up there, you know, now five star on campus is just, you know, Tuesday, you know, with Nick Saban and his staff. <laughs> five stars is just an everyday occurrence. But back then, it was big, and also Tebow. I mean, he had everything going for him. He had a name, Tim Tebow. He had recognition. He was a great football player. He's a great kid. He's just one of those kid guys that come along. And everyone remembers him. You know, he had the perfect name. He's a pretty, you know, you know, you know, the guys playing triple A major league baseball somehow, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's insane. What a, what a good athlete that guy was. Yes. Yeah. We, we should send him a, a, a gift basket or something from Peterbrook every day, every year on his, <laughs> uh, on his birthday. Uh, that's, yeah. that's the impact he had on our website. Yeah. Send him that chocolate. Send me that chocolate on my birthday. <laughs> Tim Watts never, likes that chocolate. Never seen anybody stingy with his wife's chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's stingy with it. You you people act like I, I'm awash in this chocolate, you know? 400 pounds, I have no clue. I'm eating I, peanut M&Ms just like the rest of you, you know? I would be if I had access to that. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm going to guess, though, Trev, uh, during your time there at Innisfree, downtown Tuscaloosa, you never saw Tim Tebow darken the doors there? Uh, yeah, believe it or not, uh, Tim, not much for the bar scene. Not much oh, okay. for the bar scene. There you go. Hey, uh, guys, I've got a special segment for us on the podcast today. We're going to call it the What the Hell segment. <laughs> and basically, I'm going to pose these scenarios in question form to you, and I'd love to get your responses um, from this. And, Trevor, we'll start with you on this one. 
What the hell are all these injuries at Alabama about during the early stages of fall camp? What 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 do you attribute it to, Trevor? Is it just bad luck? Is it bigger, stronger, faster being too bigger, stronger, and faster in some instances? You've been around this program both on the inside and from a coverage standpoint. Um, when you hear about DJ Dale and you hear about Miller Forrestall, Brian Ray in the offseason, Trey Sanders, the five-star freshman running back, um, Josh McMillan most recently in last Saturday scrimmage. You know, what do you add it up to, Trap? I mean, I think it's obvious. It doesn't come down to any one, you know, glaring factor. I think what you're looking at is you're looking at a team with obviously alpha males, apex, apex predators, and you've got a lot of positions that are up for grabs right now. So you got to understand every practice, those guys are going to war. And while, you know, they're all teammates right now, you know, we're, we're fighting to eat. And unfortunate, an unfortunate side effect of that is, is when you get big, strong, and fast going against big, strong, and fast, and they're going full bore, unfortunately, there's going to be some casualties as a result of that. And it's, and it's a sad reality of the business. Tim, it was a real blow in terms of the intrigue and impact. Uh, that potentially Trey Sanders may have made on this 2019 football team. What was your expectation for Trey Sanders before the injury uh, late last week? I mean, obviously Alabama's, you know, you hate to diminish it by saying it's a loaded position. You're never too loaded to keep a guy from toting the mail, especially at Alabama. Obviously Najee Harris is going to get the lion's share um, or as many carries as he needs. Brian Robinson, nobody's talking about that guy nearly enough. I mean, they're expecting big things out of him. And I still think Jerome Ford is a guy they're figuring out how to use. Sort of, you know, that guy was a wide receiver sort of in, in, in high school and a return specialist and all that. But he causes a lot of problems. And I know sources close to the program think he's a special kind of player. But, you know, Trey falls in that mode where he was going to come in. He's a big, thick kid. He's strong. He's got, you know, he's got everything you're looking for. Pedigree when you look for a, uh, a uh, high school running back making that transition to college, I mean, I saw him at IMG when he was a junior, IMG playing Hoover High School, and you could already tell that physically he was college ready. So you got a guy that's going to, you know, you know, spell Najee between the tackle guys, breakaway speed, so that, you know, it obviously hurts. Like I said, I don't want to mention because Alabama has other players at the running back position, but it's a huge blow. And the day before, Nick Saban was just talking him up and saying how great of a job he was doing. And then for it to end late in practice, if what my sources told me are correct, Late in practice, basically, you know, just on a you know throwaway play right before practice ended, you know, makes it even worse. Yeah, it it, it certainly brings Jerome Ford right back into the picture. Uh, maybe another of those true freshmen, Keelan Robinson, who certainly brings a different dynamic to the position. And we're also seeing Chadarius Townsend once again at the running back position after he had spent really the first full week of camp back with the wide receivers. We saw Chadarius uh, with the running backs in the spring. Um, what the hell, guys, has happened to all the linebackers at Alabama? Remember just a couple of years ago, it seemed like Alabama was three deep with five stars. Uh, obviously, the injury to Josh McMillan over the weekend. Uh, you've had some three and out uh, attrition that's hit you. Uh, is this kind of a culmination of, uh, the imperfect storm, uh, in your opinion, Trevor and, 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 and kind of reality really, I mean, is it more about Alabama was, was, uh, a wealth of riches that was bordering on ridiculous, 
uh, in previous years, and this is kind of more along the lines of what you should expect? Well, I mean, I, I think that's definitely a fair assessment. You know, a linebacker is a premium position. And, you know, Alabama obviously incredibly blessed in Saban's first four or five years to just roll out guy after guy after guy. And, uh, you know, not that they've fallen off in that aspect. We've definitely got a high level of talent. But, you know, you, you see a few injuries. You know, you miss on a couple of guys. And, uh, you know, you lose guys early to the NFL. And, and it's inevitable. It's a numbers game. You know, you can only continue to reload a position every year until eventually that's going to catch you a little bit. And unfortunately, right now, you know, you're looking at a group that really lacks on a, on a lot of premium experience. Talent's definitely there, but, uh, you know, you just don't really know what you're going to get out of a lot of the depth of position. Yeah, it's, it's certainly up in the air now at weak side linebacker with uh, Josh McMillan out indefinitely. Markel Benton, a registered sophomore, looks to be in that mix. But, Tim, a couple of guys that I continue to hear really good things about, and I know you know a lot about all these guys, but certainly because these two were just a part of the 2019 recruiting cycle, Shane Lee and Christian Harris. And Christian Harris may be the most intriguing true freshman on this team because of his background and and what he's having to do on the fly at linebacker. But then you combine that with his, his gifts that he has. Um, what about those two guys in terms of immediate impact, perhaps, in your opinion? You know, with Harris, I would expect his learning curve is a little bit steeper. I mean, he's a guy that plays all over the place and sort of was in flux even where they would where they would use him or where, you know, different colleges recruiting for different positions. But the guy's an athlete. You know, this is a guy that, that meets every little, every little check mark as far as athletically as you want. But still, that's a pretty steep learning curve, you know, getting thrown in there. And it's not just see ball, get ball. It's not as simple as that or – um, you know, Noma would have been a freshman All-American last year because he was physically gifted, the the linebacker who defensive end who transferred to Houston. But it's the learning process. That's a pretty complicated defense. There's a lot going on. Shane Lee, I have higher hopes for simply because I was a huge fan of his in the recruiting process. And this is one of those guys, and it happens every year. It's just the nature of the business. There just wasn't a lot of fanfare about Shane Lee. But if you watch him, he's a thumper. This is a big guy that doesn't mind sticking his head in there and, you know, finding a hole, filling a hole. He's a guy that's going to run you down, hit you, a big, thick kid, solid, a hard worker. And, you know, everyone seems to think he's a smart kid. So he's a guy that could step in there. The one I'd really like to see step up, who you didn't mention, is, is Jalen Moody. And I've had sources tell me that this is a guy that the light's finally clicking on for. You know, we talked about that learning curve with Christian Harris. But Jalen Moody's a guy that's beginning to – he's still got a ways to go. Uh, still has some time to get there, but the lights beginning to click on on what he needs to do uh, to get on the playing field. So he's going to have a huge opportunity there. Yeah. And you look at these guys physically uh, out at practice and they pretty much all look the part in terms of being capable to handle the, the physical demands that come with the position. But the reason why Josh McMillan was in the spot he was in, especially as a fifth year senior is because he had earned the trust to not bust assignments, to help get everybody lined up. And then after the snap, he was, he was more than serviceable. He had reached that point, And that's why it's a blow to lose a veteran like Josh McMillan there at weak side linebacker. Next up guys. What the hell? Go ahead. Yeah. He's been through so much from high school to now to get this opportunity and have it taken away when he was first team. 
um, you know, that that was probably the worst part, you know, knowing that he had worked so hard, like you said, and waited his turn. And this isn't a wait your turn society we're living in. This is a I didn't start my freshman game. I'm going to JUCO and I'll be in December. I'll be at another school or transfer portal. So that's the worst part for me about Josh. Yeah, with Josh McMillan, you always heard really good program guy. And that gets overlooked in terms of importance and having enough of those kind of guys to go along with all the high four stars and five stars um, that you bring in. And look, Josh McMillan had the physical capabilities as well. Again, though, that experience in the program, the maturity, um, things that you would love to take from Josh McMillan right now and implant into a couple of three of these young inside linebackers, if you could do that, you'd really be on to something moving forward. Um, I think when fans hear the term program guy, it sort of diminishes their value, but I know it doesn't mention for the college coaches. They love guys. So yeah, big loss. Yeah. Trevor, you you know about that. Um, Maybe some guys that, you know, in the past have sort of fit that bill guys in this Alabama program, because we do. I mean, we look at Todd McShay's, First round mock that he dropped today for the 2020 draft. Six Alabama players in that first round mock. And that's without Dylan Moses, Najee Harris, Jedrick Wills, Alex Leatherwood, Xavier McKinney. None of those guys were among the, among the six. So that tells you about the star power just on this next Alabama football team. But having those guys like a Josh McMillan, they've been they've been a consistent part of the championship run at Alabama, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you can go back through Saban's tenure at Alabama, and, and there's plenty of guys who, you know, may not have had the elite physical tools that other people have had, but they've worked their butt off. They've been leaders. And when their time has come, you, you've gotten to see them really shine. And they've stepped up in big situations and plugged holes when injuries like what we're talking about have happened. Um, so, you know, guys like that, it's like Tim said. You know, program guy is a term that that sometimes I think gets a negative connotation. But these guys are absolutely essential to building a roster. It's just a fact. You know, that first national championship team, Tim, at Alabama under Nick Saban, I'd argue it was full of program guys because there were a lot of guys on that roster uh, three years into Saban's tenure that if we're being honest, he, he wouldn't have probably recruited and I'm talking about a guy like a Corey Reamer who in 2009 you had a injury at the weak side linebacker position to a sophomore by the name of Dante Hightower and Reamer stepped in there and gave you what you needed next to Rolando McClain so um and at 2009 that that team Javier Arenas would would Nick Saban have recruited Javier Arenas you think nobody else recruited him but they International, where he's committed. I'll never forget seeing his film and thinking, "Wow, what in the world's going on here?" Um, and you're right. That last, that first class with Nick Saban, where they were flipping guys like Marquise Mays, who, you know, Josh Chapman, Chavis Williams. Those guys were huge in that championship year. You know, just for the role they were given, and you know, just depth and guys that could come in and make plays. So yeah, those guys. I don't consider anything. Of course, I'm a guy that doesn't think a three-star player is bad. I still think dozens and do, you know hundreds of three-star players are fantastic will play in the NFL so a program guy to me I think I think it's a compliment as we wrap up the segment guys uh one one final one here for you what the hell is wrong with thinking Mac Jones might actually be the successor 
to Tua Tonga Bailoa as the starter uh, eventually at the University of Alabama. What what's is, is is it wrong to think that might be a possibility, Tim? I don't think it's wrong. I mean, the guy's been in the system for a while. I know that I know he's I know he's got the locker room as far as people love him. So he's a very popular guy. I've heard that dozens of times. Talent-wise, obviously, when you know when you're taking second-team reps, reps to Tua, I think you're I think you obviously aren't going to look as good. You're going to fail in comparison. But we've seen a Greg McElroy, AJ McCarron uh, type guy that can come in and lead a program. And, and you know, again, those were program guys that played in the NFL, won national championship, and you know you know earned a lot of honors. So I don't mean that as a slight, but Max a guy that can compete. Uh, to his brother Talia is the one I'm really waiting to see the most on because just like his brother, not close to him, he went to Thompson High School, so he's, he goes to school with my kids. This is a high IQ kid. He probably knows the playbook up and down, I'm guessing. Um, he's going to know that. So I think there'll definitely be competition. But Max had a, what, two, three-year head start on Talia, so I don't think he can rule it out at all. What about it, Trevor? Is I it, mean uh... – Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, man. Oh, man. I mean, I, I think that, to be honest with you, you know, I'm not going to say that I expect Mac Jones to be the guy when two is gone, but in absolutely no way would that surprise me. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got a swagger that not a lot of guys have. A guy that says, oh, man, they signed Tua. Oh, well, I'm coming too. You know, a guy that I heard from guys inside the program when he got there, hey, this kid can spin it and he believes in himself. And there's something to be said for that, you know. Uh, he's a guy that, that, like Tim said, you know, he's got the huddle. He has the respect of his teammates. Um, and in the end of the day, when it comes down to the quarterback position, that's something that counts a lot when it comes with Nick Saban is, is who's the guy that when he gets in the huddle, he has all their eyes. He is the guy that they trust to get the job done. And I firmly believe that Mac Jones is a guy that can accomplish that. thing about Mac Jones that I've always liked and you guys know this better than I, having covered recruiting uh, of late, he always understood his place in this situation, coming in with Tua in the same class. It doesn't mean he was satisfied with sort of being the developmental guy of the two, um, but he has used it to his advantage. He's he's obviously put the work in to get to where he needed to be, starting with just his physical stature. You know, he, he wasn't physically ready to play Southeastern Conference football when he got here. You look at him now, it's very apparent that he's made those needed gains uh, physically. And, Trev, you hit on it. One thing that I've never sensed wavering in this guy is self-confidence. Mac Jones believes in Mac Jones. Uh, even when it, it wasn't really uh, something that a, a lot of people seem to, to have in him, uh, that seems to have never uh, been in question for himself. Uh, and here's what I think, too, guys, with Mac Jones is the potential successor to, to a Tiger Bailoa. It, it's going to be contingent, partially at least, on who they can put around him. I mean, if they can keep putting guys like they've got now at the wide receiver position and at running back and maybe tight end, uh, I think Mac Jones can sustain uh, the quarterback position at Alabama. If they don't as much, that's when you start thinking that a guy like Talia Tonga Vailoa, who might be able to do a few more things from a playmaking standpoint, uh, comes more into the picture. What about that sort of theory, guys? What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. You know, that's one thing, you know, depending on what who, I mean, Matt could be walking in to a situation where he's lost a lot of offensive linemen, a lot of wide receivers. 
you know, Najee Harris, he could be walking in that situation that'd be really hard. And if you're Nick Saban, I think it has to factor in. If you're going with a complete movement, almost like a rebuild, it might be better to go with that, you know, that red shirt freshman. Uh, that could factor in. Also, I mean, I think Mac would look better. Anybody look better with this skill set, the skill guys that Alabama has right now. So I think it's a valid point with depending on, you know, what will Devontae Smith and some of those guys do? You know, I feel like Ruggs and Judy are probably two guys, that, you know, with a good year that will come out. Um, I mean, he could be facing, you know, a, an uphill battle that year offensively with a lot of fresh faces. Yeah, yeah I think – go ahead, Trev. I mean, I, I'd also say this, you know, coming from a bit of a different angle – you know, losing, you know, you know, looking at what Alabama might be losing from a skill position standpoint over the next season, you know, going into a season with a lot of fresh faces where you're going to be lacking experience on the outside, you know, that might be a good time to look to that elder statesman, to that guy that that has that yeah. maturity, that isn't going to make those mistakes, that's going to know when to, to do the right things. Uh, and and really, you know, save a drive and get three points instead of forcing the ball and getting a turnover, which a freshman might do. That's always been a priority, you know, for for Nick Saban, I think, where you've seen the safer bet win that quarterback battle. Because a lot of times he he is a guy that you just don't want him to hurt you. You can hand off to all the running backs and you have good offensive line receivers, but you don't want a guy – I mean, we've seen that with Tua. Tua's a little bit different. He's got that – that, that Brett Favre vibe to him where he can throw two interceptions because he's going to come back from it. But not many guys have really got that leeway to turn the ball over like he has. So here, definitely be said for a guy that understands the offense that can protect the ball. Here is something that I think whoever succeeds to a Tonga Vailoa, and if it is as early as next season, like most think it will be, I think that offensive line in 2020 could be really, really good. You know, going through some transition right now a little bit on the interior, but it looks like Evan Neal is sort of starting to emerge more and more as an option. Maybe in that first five, Emil Echior is just a redshirt freshman. They seem to really like him a lot. Um, you know, at right guard, you're going to have, uh, looking ahead to next year, Landon Dickerson, the Florida State grad transfer, will be back for his second and final season, but you're going to have Deontay Brown. I mean, just right there in the interior, and if you do return one of those offensive tackles from Jedrick Wills and Alex Leatherwood, if you just get one of those two back for next year, you know, uh, and even if you don't, Evan Neal can kick out. Um, that's a nice way to break in a new quarterback, too, right, potentially, with, with that sort of scenario up front. Oh, definitely. I mean, you're, you're looking at a, at a group of absolute bulldozers, uh, you know, physically as gifted as any group in college football. And you know, that's huge for a quarterback's confidence. Just the ability to know, A, I'm protected, I got nothing to worry about, and B, hey, when when it comes time to, to when the rubber meets the road, we're going to hand this football off, we're going to suck the air out of this game, and we're going to break their will just with our running game and use our offensive line as, a, as the weapon that they really are. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a remarkable tool to have in the bag when you've got guys of that caliber up front. And the running back should be okay. You know, you're assuming Trey Sanders comes back healthy. Ryan Robinson comes back. Those are two guys that, that are, from, you know, between the tackle guys. You throw in guys that can get outside, do a little bit in open space with Keelan Williams um, and Jerome Force. So you got some options there. And don't forget Roydell Williams, who's committed, obviously not signed. He's that. He's another one of these guys in this class who, because everybody's so worried about Zach Evans, 
And Zach Evans is a freaky type running back. Don't get me wrong. But Roydell Williams is no slouch. This guy rushed for 3,000 yards in the state of Alabama facing a 13-man front, it looked like. I think these guys were throwing <laughs> guys out there. And not only that, he averaged almost 10 yards a carry. So this ain't a guy toting the mail 30 times a game to, you know, to get to 100 yards. So you got these guys. And Roydell's another one physically, like Ford, like Robinson, and Trey, who can come in. So if you get that offensive line, it's a great point. You get that offensive line, you get that running back. It might be a little bit more of the ground and pound we're used to seeing. Plus the defense. Don't forget Alabama signed. You know what? Yeah. College coaches have told me the best defensive line in the history of, of, of signing players. So they're going to have probably a more seasons, a better defense next year. Yeah, the run to ball crowd uh, that, that you hear of hear from this year. Maybe next year that's going to be your year. Uh, run the ball in 2020, the new campaign uh, for an election year. <laughs> hey, uh, guys, I wanted to, uh, as we wind down here on the Built by Bama online podcast, by the way, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. If you already have, we certainly appreciate you doing so. Leave us a review there uh, while you're at it, if you don't mind. Um, as we wind down here, I had a specific question for both you guys. Current staff members not included. The best overall assistant coach at Alabama in the Nick Saban era was or is? Um, Georgia fans will kill me, but I think it was Jeremy Pruitt. And yeah. for several reasons, I think uh, Pruitt was a guy who evaluated talent as well as anybody I've seen at Alabama. Everybody should be familiar with the Josh Jacobs story. That, that was a guy Pruitt found. I've told that story. Several years, he went to watch another prospect, ran across him, sent him to Burton Burns. Next thing you know, the guy's committed, and, you know, he's a first-round draft pick. So I think Pruitt did that, and also coaching uh, the standpoint, and also understanding what it takes to work for Nick Saban. I think that was the biggest factor is, like, I think there's a ton of respect. I don't think he had any problem. You know, and every Alabama coach can't say that. Half of them went out the door, you know, you know, deep in their feelings, you know, at, at some point. But I think – Jeremy Pruitt, I think he got Nick Saban. And, um, you know, I also think on the field he's, he did a great job coaching Alabama. He also did a great job. Obviously, Kirby was fantastic, too. So it's hard to, you know, this is like choosing your favorite, you know, five-star in a lot of ways. I mean, Kirby Smart was great, worked his butt off, could recruit with anybody. You see that at Georgia now. Obviously, a great coach and, and heading his own program. So those two would be my top two as far as A to Z skill sets. What about it, Trev? I mean – you know, obviously, I, I think that Kirby Kirby's a very obvious uh, choice here with his time with Saban and what he's able to accomplish as an assistant coach. I think that Joe Pendry was as important as any assistant yeah. coach that Saban had on his staff, especially early in the process, because you're talking about a guy with an absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to football. He's forgotten more than we'll ever know. And also, you know, from just being that rock, that guy that, that gives – honest, straightforward advice. He's not going to sugarcoat it. Um, you know, he's a guy that, that was truly special and, you know, obviously had his hands, hand, fingerprints on the Alabama program ever since Saban's been here up until this day. You know, Joe is a, is a special guy. He's an incredible coach and developer. I mean, you think about those early offensive lines. I mean, mm -hmm. no disrespect to the Drew Davises and the John Michael Boswells of this world, of this world. But those guys are guys that they would have a real tough time at Alabama now. And to turn those guys into functional starters and effective starters, 
uh, is a pretty incredible feat that Joe Pendry accomplished while he was on campus in Tuscaloosa. And I would agree with that simply based on remembering the 2007 Alabama LSU game here in Tuscaloosa. I was on the field for that game. And by that point of November, it wasn't even the first five for Alabama's offensive line that started the season. They had had a couple of injuries, uh, uh, maybe even a suspension or two. And, I mean, it was JV, man. That was a JV group Alabama had out there. Again, as you said, no no offense intended. Those guys played their butt off. Give them all the credit in the world. I'm just talking about in terms of physically looking at what Alabama had on the field in that game compared to what LSU, in large part, thanks to Nick Saban, had on the field on that defensive line. Um, and, it, and it just wasn't close. So, yeah, and also uh, Pendry was – we talk about Tom Hagen – in the Godfather. That's what I've always sort of equated Joe Pendry to with Nick Saban. Uh, very close relationship between those two. Pendry had so much history. If you were around him, you know, for any amount of time, and he's and he's super nice, super, you know, sort of quiet guy. But we were talking once, and he was he kept talking about Christian and Lawrence. And I didn't know what he was talking about. He's like, you know, ideally, you'd like to get a guy that flashes off the edge like Lawrence, you know, and we were talking about running backs. You want to get a guy that can – you know, like Christian, you know, they're just hard to find. They go between the tackles. And I was like, who is he talking about? And I Googled it, it was Lawrence Taylor and Christian Apoye. So I was so, <laughs> I, I was so far, he kept saying Lawrence. I was like, who in the heck is, I've never heard of a good Lawrence that can play football. Then I Googled, I was like, oh, Lawrence, LT. So, yeah, just, just LT, yeah. Uh, he's described, yeah, we like to get a guy like Christian Okoye, you know, you're saying Christian. But, you know, they're hard to find. Like, yeah, they're in Nigeria. They're pretty good. Pretty <laughs> yeah, a little bit of Mark Ingram in that sort of style of running from uh, back around 2008, 2009 into 2010. Uh, one last one for you guys. Actually, a couple. Most important flip on the recruiting trail of the Nick Saban era. And there's there's been a few um, guys like Quinnen Williams, TJ Yeldon, or maybe it was a guy – that flipped from Alabama to another place that opened up a spot for, I don't know, maybe a quarterback from Hawaii. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, probably the most interesting one to watch is, a, is a gimme is Reuben Foster. Committed, yeah. committed, got the Auburn tattoo, did, you know, committed back to Alabama. So, but, I mean, you look at, so, and that's, you know, you make a great point when it comes to recruiting. I don't really worry about what they what Alabama doesn't get. I think you have to focus on what they get. But, yes, Ricky Towns was committed to Alabama. Huge disappointment when he he decommitted. And they ended up with Tua. You know, that's the thing. That's the one thing I'll say about the Alabama staff is there's a ton of activity left in this class. Trevor, you know as well as I do, in December, November, they are flipping senior film, and they will find the guy. Mark Ingram was barely even a prospect in, uh, in I mean, for Alabama, a target August before his senior year, really. So to me, Reuben Foster, Greg, you know, but but again, Tua, uh, you know, you know, ended up with Tua instead of Ricky Towns. I would say Alabama got the best part of that deal for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I think, like you said, Reuben's a, a definite one that that really, really comes to mind in terms of flips and just the circus that surrounded his entire recruitment. Um, you know, those the guys like that, you know, those storylines don't come along every day. But, you know, like you said, with a staff like Alabama, um, you know, things have changed now with earlier official visits and, and guys early enrolling. The timeline sped up. But, you know, until the last couple of years, 
once the season started, you know, Bama wasn't, you know, we're focused on winning a national title. And, hey, come December, we'll rock it up. And that's when you're going to find out who you're really up against in recruiting battles. Because come December 1st, it's about to get real. You know, and that staff's going to go into another level. And it's remarkable to watch them when they hit that ground running in recruiting because those guys are tough to stop with that A on their shirt. Tim, how much has that changed, though, with the change – uh, to the recruiting calendar, or is it, are the dates still pretty similar in, in terms of how all this sort of kicks in? At that early period, I mean, you lose two months. So, you know, I think Alabama has always liked to have previously official visitors in on non-game weekends. They are super focused, as, as, as Trevor said, on the season and on each game and all that. So it's hard to have official visitors because not only do you have official you got, a, you know, you got 100 kids coming for the LSU game or the Auburn game or whatever the case may be. Unofficially, young kids, just a lot to juggle on top of a game. I think the distraction factor there. So now they're having to host a lot more kids early. So you're having to have them, you know, even in the summer where, you know, you get a kid who loves you in May, he might forget about you in November, you know, because he, he, he didn't have a chance to experience Brian Denny. But he did have a, you know, he did have a chance to go to another school and, and, and visit their, their game day atmosphere. So there's some juggling involved uh, with that. But I think with Alabama, it's always been similar to the ebb and flow. You will notice there's a huge – during the, like spring training is all about spring training. You don't hear a lot of commitments. You don't see a lot of breaking news around that time. But then the summer comes, the camps are so important, and they're busting out those commitments. Alabama fans, I see you on BOL, you know, you know, telling us to crystal ball just anybody because now they're focused on the season again. It doesn't mean they're not recruiting. It just means they're focused on the uh, they're focused on the season. Um, so you know it's going to slow down a little bit. And again, once the season winds down at the end, that December we're going to see a flurry of activity. You know, as last this time last year, Alabama fans were distraught because they didn't think the class was going to finish very well. But they ended up with Trey Sanders and Evan Neal and Jordan Battle. I mean, some of these guys, Jordan Battle could have easily been a five star. He was he he was definitely a high school All American. So the finish. Usually, barring two years ago when the, when the finish was bad, but saving them adjusted, the finish is usually pretty good for Alabama. And the biggest thing is Alabama's asking out the most beautiful girls in the world, if you want to look at it that way. Some of them are going to say no. So they're not going to get every recruit. They're going to get a lot of them. Oh, no doubt and, there. And, and, and I'd also say this, you know, uh, Bama ain't for everybody. You know, a, a lot of guys, they, they think that they're that they're a big fish in a big pond. And then once they look around and they get to Tuscaloosa and they understand that they're, you know, they're a minnow swimming in the ocean, you know, that's a that's a shock and a realization for some guys. And, and a lot of guys, you know, they're not mentally equipped to come in and handle that kind of pressure of, hey, you're going to fight for your job every day because there's a five star ahead of you. And you best believe they're recruiting a five star right now to replace you. Yeah. So, and if you're if yeah. you're a guy like Jadevion Clowney from a few years back. It, it doesn't matter where you go. You know, you're going to be an NFL player. So I'm not saying this was particularly the case with Jadeveon Clowney, but if I'm Jadeveon Clowney and I go experience a little bit of what it's going to be like for me at Alabama, and I know I can go to home state South Carolina and pretty much uh, uh, enjoy uh, my time there in terms of what's asked of me, and I'm still going to be the number one overall pick, uh, then, yeah, I, I, can, I can definitely see that. Guys, we're talking finishes here in recruiting. Well, we're going to talk about the finish of the Built by Bama online podcast right now. 
We've only got a little bit of time left before the games are actually real. With that, your top football movie, because we can watch a little more Netflix or whatever until you know the next couple of Saturdays roll up. Your top football movie of all time, Tim Watts, crank us up. Gosh, that's a uh, that's a tough one. I mean, the program for me is always a go-to. Uh, just, just I thought that was the first movie that showed actual hitting. I wasn't super happy with the five six hundred thirty-five pound quarterback. So <laughs> my favorite character, probably my favorite actor. I'll change it a little. My favorite actor to be a quarterback is Keanu Reeves. Left-hander, natural throwing motion. He was great in the replacements. You saw him wearing out the boys in uh, Point Blank. Uh, point break, I'm sorry. So he's a Johnny guy. Utah. Yeah, yeah. Johnny Utah. I mean, he's a natural thrower. The guy the guy was a natural left-handed thrower. So that'd probably be my choice. And if I'm with the kids, I'm watching Little Giants. I love the movie. I don't know if it's bad, but it is a guilty pleasure. That movie makes me die laughing. Yeah, Keanu Tonga Vailoa before Tua. Hey, uh, what about it, Trev? Man, I, I got to be honest with you. One of my probably my favorite football movie of all time, maybe not the most correct. I love Necessary Roughness. Uh, one of the one of the classics for me. Um, it was so much fun. I'd say that that probably one in terms of just encapsulating, you know, high school football, uh, especially in small towns. You know, Varsity Blues was one that was a remarkable movie. You know, being a guy who was fortunate enough to play at a, you know at a program with a lot of history in Brentwood Academy, understanding the pressure and the expectations that come with, you know, Hey man, you're, you're another guy in line and a long legacy of great players. And what are you going to do to write your own chapter in this history book? And that's one thing that, you know, varsity blues, I, I obviously, you know, really identified with. Yeah. For me, it's all the right moves. And this is probably where my age is showing up a little bit. It was kind of a mid eighties flick. Tom Cruise, is a 5'6", 155-pound white cornerback in western Pennsylvania. And he's actually big-timing programs like Temple and Syracuse waiting on Penn State you know, to come with a full ride. That kind of tells you about um, the, the reality of the, the movie. But I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, old-school neck roll, which makes it even yes. better. Yes. Oh, yeah. The rifleman at quarterback. Yeah. Don't take off your necklace. you got to tape yeah. it to your chest. Make sure it doesn't come off. The late Chris Penn. The late Chris Penn, who went on to what? Reservoir Dogs, right? Yes, sir. Uh, what, yes. Was your starting middle linebacker yes, for Ampipe? Yes, we had one of their starting players arrested in the middle of the season. <laughs> it's a great movie. I want to tell that front because you mentioned it on the board. But, we, you know, we had a lot of drama. I'm not sure how they lost that game in the rain, but I definitely recommend it. And Tom Cruise did a good job being in that role. Yeah fit that role at the time when I first saw it I was young and didn't realize you know how small he was and you know I wasn't I wasn't used to the the athletes I deal with now but it's a great movie and Craig T. Nelson who later on Nickerson yeah got, he got promoted to a head coach on the show coach so at the college level so he sure real- did <laughs> some pretty good Leah Thompson in that all the right moves too yes very good you know, back in the day but uh yeah it worked out for Steph in the end you know I uh, actually went with Nickerson out to Cal uh, Poly and uh, played a little football there at the end. So all's well that ends well. Speaking of ending well, we're going to try to do that now. You got anything else, guys, before we wrap up? I was going to say, would Tom Cruise even be eligible to play for Craig T. Nelson now <laughs> under the new rules? That he even went with him to college? I'm not even sure that's that's uh, that's doable. So, no, but I appreciate it. Love talking to you guys. 
Hey, Trev, I really appreciate you checking in with us. We kind of went all over the place, but I thought it was fun. Nobody got hurt. No, Trevor, <laughs> that's, a, that's a plus right there right now. Trevor's still alive. Check. Here we go. And with that, we're going to get out of here. It's the Built by Bama online podcast. Coverage of the Alabama Crimson Tide, Travis Schreier. Hoping you'll join us again next time right here on the Built by Bama online podcast.